0: Okay, no! Right, here we go. Today is Monday, October 12th, 2015, and this is episode 135 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Hello, Jerry. How are you, sir? I'm doing awesome. How are you?
1: I am good. It is Columbus Day. Happy Columbus Day, or as I call it, Happy Plague Blanket Day.
0: You are just broken. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, I know. It's a gift and a curse. <clears throat> but anyway, hello. It's Monday. We uh, didn't get our show yesterday because we were both busy. We apologize.
0: Yep. And uh, yeah, I guess I, I should probably have said this early, much earlier, but uh, the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast and the bad jokes uh, are ours and do not represent those of our employer.
1: <laughs> Retroactively applying to the beginning of the show.
0: That's right. That's right. It's like a click wrap. What? It's like a clip click wrap license, you know. You got to open up the package to get the license.
1: Oh, I see. I, yeah, yeah. I thought you meant rap as in rapping. As no, in no, like no. Rappers on on eight mile rapping, and I was very confused. I thought click rap was some sort of new style of rap that I wasn't aware of because I'm old.
0: That is uh, that is an opportunity for an adjacent market for our podcast, no, isn't it?
1: Because you have kids, so you might be in with a hip things that kids today say like he's a righteous dude but I'm old and I just don't know
0: he's a righteous dude yes that's exactly what they say
1: that was a very meta meta joke hopefully somebody out there gets it all right yep all right in time sorry let's go
0: yeah so uh w- before we get started I did want to point out that uh, one of our listeners uh, at Rothgar pointed out that uh, our story regarding Ashley Madison's uh, you weak. were wrong. Uh, fine, I was wrong. You uh, were so wrong. We 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 said that uh, Ashley Madison did a bad job of implementing bcrypt, when in fact, uh, as Rothgar points out, uh, it, they actually implemented bcrypt properly. It was that they had badly implemented their MD5 uh, session keys, which uh, you know once once those were brute forced, you really didn't need to reverse. <laughs>
1: once again proving two things one doing crypto right is hard and two you were wrong this will come up on your review sir
0: oh man not again it's
1: true all right so um this may hurt your opportunity to move to director of podcasting (laughs) i was so close that was so close. If it makes you feel any better, I've got to admit I was wrong a little later myself. However, it was under the best of intentions. So.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. The uh, first story comes from Data Breach Today, and the title is Report USPS Workers Vulnerable to Phishing Scams, which I guess is really big news. The uh, The Inspector General uh, did a phishing simulation and found that 25% of those selected for the test, clicked on the links. And uh, very few of them actually then reported these links to their C-CERT team. Uh, Overall, 93% of the population did not report the email as they were required to. And uh, interestingly, of the people who clicked on the links, only 4% had completed their mandatory uh, security education, which if you have 4% and it's mandatory, I'm
1: not... Well, be careful there. there. I don't know that it was mandatory at the point that this has happened.
0: F- that's a fair point.
1: Yeah, it was optional security awareness training. Aside from those those folks in the IT group, it sounds like.
0: You know, what's, what struck me with those numbers, by the way, is that 25% is pretty industry standard. And, and I think uh, the post office representative actually said that. And, you know, it, it certainly resonates with me. At At a point when only 4% had been trained so, um, you know, I, I kind of wonder what the marginal benefit of training is. So, you know, after they implemented their new training program, I wonder what the the new numbers are. Or what well, will that's, be? Uh,
1: that's a very, very fine question. It's something that we've debated a lot on this show is how effective is security training? And certainly it has some level of effectiveness, but where is the value diminishing returns? At what point does it fall off and you are now wasting money on awareness training and wasting time Uh, and you know, can you train everyone to the, to a level to, to avoid it? My answer is no. I think you're still going to need technical controls. And I think it has to do with, with human psychology. And I think it has to do with fishing. And I think that the bad guys will continue to find ways to make that enticing. And, uh, one of the guys quoted in here, uh, I should find his name. Last name Johnson, Eric Johnson, Vanderbilt University business professor, studies the impact of spearfishing. You know, he makes a good point that there's something quote there's something about a link that just begs to be clicked. Uh, Johnson says, "I think we're all in a hurry, and if it's remotely intriguing, people just click." And this this reminded me of something that we're hearing right now about um, how quickly our attention can be diverted by instant messages and text messages and that there's a sense of instant gratification that we get and that there's a psychological response we get when we get one of these uh, sort of instant messaging or or social media responses or whatever it may be. And I wonder if there's a similar psychological thing going on with inbound email that has something interesting to click on, that, that our brain is wired to encourage us to click it.
0: Certainly, uh, I, I, it kind of makes sense.
1: The other thing he says that it, that's really interesting, uh, again, Johnson goes on, and I agree with this quote, you can create some general awareness, but if people are clicking as part of their regular job, having them become detectives and try to figure out the difference of a deceptive one of a real one, that's hard, end quote he says. And, and I agree with this, because even if we say, okay, train people right now, as the net population, if you will, herd immunity starts to grow, There's plenty of ways that the bad guys can become more effective at phishing. They only need to be as good as they need to be to get the acceptable click rate through. And as we've seen with spear phishing where they're being very targeted, they uh, have no problem finding ways typically to uh, spoof enough of a knowledge Knowledgeable uh, victim. If they have enough knowledge about their victim, they they have no problem spoofing an email good enough to get them to click on something. Yeah. So uh, with with a few exceptions, but I would say very high percentage click rates. So um, we've had this debate over and over again. We've had this debate with 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 people respect in the industry. Uh, I still keep coming back to it's not. I'm not saying you shouldn't do security awareness training. I think you must have to do it. Uh, to at least show due diligence, but if you're not backing that up with some sort of technical control, you're probably going to continue to have problems here.
0: You know, the the thing that strikes me about about all of this is we're, we're we're kind of training people from two sides. You know, on the one hand, all of this information technology is intended to drive much more you know kind of real time, instantaneous communication and, and response. And at the same time, you know, in order to do that, you you end up having to create a position or, or a situation where people need to click on those links, and they have limited time and capacity to evaluate them. And at the same time, now we're coming along, saying, "Well, you know, you, you also have to be really careful when you're when you're doing that." And we don't really know what that means all the always, right? But you have to be careful. You know, don't click on a link from someone you don't know. Well, what if it is from someone you know? And, you know, like a lot of spearfishing is. And, you know, don't open a an attachment from someone you don't trust or th- that you're not expecting. Well, you know what? In my day job, I get attachments all damn day long that I was not expecting. And it's just part of my job. And I bet it's part of many people's jobs.
1: Yeah, at, at some point, as as arrogant as this sounds, as the user, it's probably safe for them to go, you know what, it's IT's job to keep me safe. i got to do my job. That's right. You know, the other thing you pointed out here, which I thought was interesting, or uh, well, at least the article pointed out here, was the report rate. And they made a big deal about a 93% failure rate on people reporting the phishing attempt to their c Uh and they said it was mandatory. I, you know, I have trouble. I'll put it this way: if it's a broad phishing attempt, they argue in in the in the article here that the, the CISO or the CIO, in a written response, says, "Hey, even with only seven percent of employees reporting, that would have given us enough information to act." Right. And I think that's fair, right? Uh, now that does not work with a very targeted spear phishing campaign, but it certainly works with a broad phishing campaign. Yeah. And, you know, it's also not a fair thing to measure email engagement over, uh, I, I see people all the time who have so much email, they filter stuff that they never see it, that they ignore it, uh, they have admins looking at stuff. You've got to be careful when you start making these broad 100% report type of mandates because there's so many pocket cases that that's probably more realistically down around 75 80 percent of people who actually are going to see the email in a way that they might actually engage with it
0: yeah yeah that, that's a good point i think the other uh, you know the other angle here is if you had a hundred percent of people reporting fishes i mean how many how many would you end up having to deal with in a given well, day
1: and how much false positive rate would you? It, have well, exactly. Yeah, it's it's a double edged sword. Um, there is no perfect technical control. There's no perfect, um, you know, user awareness training. But
0: I, this is a tough uh, nut. I mean, you know, it, it's, it is. It's why, it's why we keep talking about it. <laughs> yeah, there's not a good solution.
1: I, I mean, if I really had my druthers, and there was no sort of trade-off involved, I probably would go whitelisting, I think is a really good way to stop malware. But if somebody's doing credential harvesting, that's really tough. Right. Uh, and then depending on what kind of credentials they're harvesting, then you know, you could go two-factor everywhere, certificate-based everywhere. But again, th- you could find the technical control to solve it, but it may not be acceptable to your user base and business. And
0: so there's always that balance to figure out. Right. Or cost-effective or right. what have you.
1: So it's it's going to continue to be a problem and it's I really do feel fishing and spear fishing is probably the number one threat vector for uh US enterprises right now based on what we're seeing from big breaches and the trends we're seeing.
0: Yeah, uh, you know one thing I will I, I will tell you in you you started to touch on this a little bit and I thought you didn't go where I thought you were going to go but when when an of or- failure in life I'm sorry. I uh, know it's all right. You can try again next week. Um, when, uh, when you as an organization send out a, a mass phishing campaign, or your phishing exercise, whatever, however you want to characterize it, uh, especially if, if your employees are co-located near each other and most of the emails come in at, you know, roughly the same time. And, you know, Bill says to Jane, Hey, did you just get that really weird looking email? And pretty soon everybody in the office is, you know, it, is, is talking about it. And I suppose in some respects, that's that kind of thing is, a, is healthy because if, you know, if it did come in, if an evil one came in, you know, that would um, potentially help, you know, help your defenses. But I think more and more, that's not how, you know, that, that's not how the really bad ones are getting. And that's how you get uh crypto right. not, that's not how you get, you know, the Syrian electronic army or, uh, some some uh, Russian stock spammer. Uh, I guess they're not even Russian, are they?
1: I mean, if I was red teaming my company, I could probably, with fairly good certainty, find effective phishing campaigns to, to throw against my company. Yeah. And, and, you know, I agree with you. If you really want to test it, you should go low and slow with your phishing.
0: Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And also, you know, the other thing is, I, and I've, I've had this criticism uh, of, of uh, some organizations who really try to, you know, they, they keep the the gloves on when they're running these tests and they will not, you know, they will not go to the extent that, um, you know, actual, actual fishers will go to, you know, that they'll, uh, they'll not use legitimate company names. And and things like that, and, and you know what? <laughs> that's not how it works, right? You know, you're going to get the email yep. from American Express or from UPS or FedEx. That's going to get you. It's not going to come from you know Acme Shoe Store, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or A- Acme Shipping. You know, that's not how it's going to happen. And um, you know, I, I think uh, I think we ignore that at our own peril. So, anyhow, I think we beat that one. So our next story. This one is uh, very nice. Uh, It is related to Experian. So uh, it's from Krebs on security. At Experian, security attrition amid acquisitions. And it's it's a really, even for Krebs, it's a very long article. Uh, But um, there's lots of drama and intrigue and whatnot about how uh, Experian has been acquiring companies and and not doing a pretty, a very stellar job of uh, integrating them and addressing security. However, that's really not the, you know, the
1: kind of the core point, uh, at least to me. Though it does bring up where I want to admit I was wrong. All right. So last week we talked about this slightly, and I said, "Hey, good on experience for keeping T-Mobile's data segregated <laughs> from the rest of the environment."
0: It was accidental.
1: <laughs> that was not on purpose. <laughs> It was because of an incomplete M and A. That's what that was. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So, so I was wrong in giving them kudos. I take the kudos back.
0: Oh boy. So right. um, carry on. Yeah. So uh, you know, the, again, it's 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 an interesting story from an IT perspective. You know, they they talk about how uh, the CIO uh, there had been long-standing troubles, and then this new CIO came in. And drove really significant change, and you know that security had become a priority. There, there were lots of important investments going on, and things were were uh, were shaping up. And then he left to go to the Bank of England, and apparently, then it all went to hell, and you know, people left, and programs were de- defunded, and and on and on. Anyway, after uh, apparently shortly after the the news. Of the T-Mobile breach uh, was released. Uh, someone contacted Krebs and gave him a link to a website, which turned out to be a ticket system for uh, one of these Experian companies—the one that actually had the data of T-Mobiles that was breached, allegedly. And uh, that you know that ticket system, as uh, you know, as uh, there's some screenshots in here, kind of shows that. You know, there's people asking for access to different systems, apparently legitimately. But I guess the point was you can go through and you can twiddle with the URL and get different ticket numbers and even submit your own tickets. And kind of the the unwritten point there is, you know, could it be that the attacker just, you know, asked for access <laughs> to a... Uh, to a system
1: it could be I, you know whenever I see something like a uh, you know an anonymous ex employee sending uh things like this to the press it, it always makes me think that there's probably some disgruntled ex employees there who probably knew about these issues uh probably raised these issues and were ignored and uh you know that's <laughs> it's tough to uh you know some folks want to do the right thing or at least what they perceive as the right thing and when management ignores them they can sometimes carry a grudge and then come back and say I told you so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I, I do want to take us just a, a related diversion. Someone pointed out that if you want to have a good time, you can set up a Google alert and set up set up the Google Google alert for data breach and for the the quote no evidence. And and the reason is that every single one of these, you know, that the press releases we have seen no evidence of, you know, the the data that being stolen that was stolen being improperly used, um, even when there's conflicting information, which is as here. Apparently, yeah, they it, it it apparently is being used improperly. So,
1: awesome. Literally, uh, there's other ways to have a good time but you know if that's your cup of tea then feel free
0: well you know I'm getting older and whatever so moving on so moving on our, uh, our next story this one you know
1: uh, before we do move on I do want yeah. to say that uh, I've been involved in a lot of M&A and i have been involved on the IT side of love and m and and I will tell you it is something that I've seen most organizations do a terrible job at uh, they really, I, if there's one piece of advice I could give an MA, is normalize your IT operations and security operations as quickly as possible. It will be painful, it will suck, but rip that band aid off. It's better than lingering with uh, disparate systems and disparate everything forever and ever. Uh, and I just don't think organizations focus on it and care enough. And I tell you, it drives IT and security folks absolutely batshit crazy.
0: I completely agree. I have seen a lot of M&A and I rarely, rarely see it go well. And, you know, it's just, it just seems like in most cases, the the acquired, I don't know if it's some, you know, political or, or personality kind of stuff, right. But, you know, they view it as a special snowflake. We don't want to change it. And, you know, ultimately they are going to change it. And, they just wait way too longer generally than they should, and it, it creates lots of problems. So I agree. You know, yeah, get it done. Things linger. Get it done.
1: They, they they slip through the cracks. You forget about systems out there. They're not covered by your normal system architecture and normal, uh, you know, kind of asset inventory or normal everything. And it's just, it doesn't help. <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, so uh, so our next story comes from data breach today as well, and the title is E Trade Dow Jones issue breach alerts. So, interestingly, if you recall on last week's podcast, we talked about Scott Trade, and there was a very foreboding statement in there which I I uh, mused about how uh, you know. St- I think the FBI said something like Scott Trade and other a number of other financial institutions were were impacted, and I wondered, well, <laughs> when are we going to find about out about those other ones? Well, apparently we just did, or at least some of them. So uh, there is a little more intrigue in this, though. E Trade; uh, these are not like spectacularly large breaches, though. So E Trade uh, apparently had thirty-one thousand customers impacted. And uh it's things like uh let's see. Oh of course there was no evidence that the sensitive uh, information was being used uh which included by the way uh passwords, social security numbers and uh, other financial information. Um but what I found particularly interesting in the Etrade case was they actually found out about the an intrusion, I'll call it, in 2013 did their own investigation and determined that there was nothing stolen. However, the FBI apparently recently came back to them and said, yeah, you did actually have some stuff stolen. And uh, so it's not very clear to me if they've gone and reinvestigated and found, you know, the evidence they missed the first time around or exactly how they narrowed down, uh, centered on this 31,000 number, because I'm assuming they have a lot more than 31,000 customers. Uh, But, you know, there you have it. Um, In the case of Dow Jones, uh, their breach ran from August 2012 to July 2015. Uh, While they have 2.4 million subscribers, um, they believe that only 3,500 individuals were impacted. So... You know, again, uh, the, the story to me on both of these, other than it's kind of interesting in relation to the Scott Trey breach, is, uh, you know, it's kind of like the Schrodinger's cat story. You know, it's you, you don't know that you've been breached until somebody's told you. And, and um, it kind of goes back to that whole uh, absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. Indeed, And so, you know, if you do it, if if you do an investigation and you don't see the smoking gun that someone stole your, you know, stole your data, it doesn't necessarily mean that it didn't get stolen.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's kind of like having a a company come in and do an audit and they don't find any evidence of malfeasance going on in your environment doesn't mean there isn't. It just maybe they missed it. Right. They um, didn't
0: put their thermometer in the right place.
1: <laughs> Ew. Ew. Uh, but all that being said, something interesting appears to be going on. There appears to be a trend here in terms of going after financial customers' contact information. The other thing that's interesting is if they're going after just contact information to build a database, how would you know if that was really being exploited or used for some other reason. A lot of people, credit card is a credit card. You can pretty much correlate back where there was a common point of usage and a common point of data collection. But that's really not the case in general, unless you do a whole lot of data correlation on random other
0: contacts. Yes, like credit fraud. Right.
1: Right. And, you know, Especially when we're getting millions and millions of, of accounts, and they appear to be hitting mult. Well, assuming this is the same group, which some have speculated, they here they appear to be going after a lot of financial industry uh, customers. It makes you wonder what are they up to. Uh, some have said they could be doing stock ste- stock schemes, as pump and dump on penny stocks, which is a reasonable approach. To, to saying, you know, it's a reasonable hypothesis. There's a lot of money to be made on that. Uh, but it could be something else. I don't know. Uh, you know,
0: I, I do I do have to say, and they, they mentioned in this article, the uh, the the previous J.P. Morgan Chase breach from last year, which we talked about at the time, and it was widely believed to be Russian, uh, you know, the, uh, associated with the Russian government. Nation-state. Nation it, it was It was a nation-state Hack and you know that Russia was breaking into the financial institutions. And Bob even was telling me, you know, that he was getting the hush hush, you know, this is like there's some serious crap going on here. And, um, yeah, so, uh, by the way, uh, the U.S. government, uh, recently filed charges against uh, three people in relation to this uh, JP Morgan Chase breach for uh, for stealing that data to run a penny stock scam
1: nation state
0: to- totally <laughs> I I just okay here is exhibit a right for
1: got to be nation state
0: this you know th- these things do not have to be perpetrated by nation states right this apparent in this this JP Morgan Chase thing, and I know this is not the focus of the discussion, right? But in in the case of this JP Morgan Chase breach, which was super sophisticated at the time, was apparently being run by a, a couple of knuckleheads trying to run a pump and dump scam on some penny stocks.
1: Let me ask you the most important question. Was there an open letter from Kevin Mandia saying that there's just no way anyone could have defended against this? And It had to have been North Korea. I,
0: I I don't recall that, but I'm not saying there wasn't one. <laughs> oh boy! So uh, yeah,
1: to be continued. Interesting interesting thing to follow there.
0: Yeah, uh, it does. It does appear like there's a, you know, at some point, your your graph starts to show a line. Right. You can start to connect the dots and, the, and and you start to see a line. And I think we're starting to see a line now.
1: Well, so. as you famously said on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, the good news is the bad guys are running out of data. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yes, that's right. <laughs> Not much left. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy.
1: <laughs> well, the, you know, we've got to look at the birth rate to make sure that we've got enough new accounts being added to the systems for them to steal.
0: That's a good point. I mean, it would be a problem after a while. The Syrian electronic army
1: is encouraging uh, a higher birth rate in many countries, coincidentally.
0: At some point, we are all going to have to move just so that this, you know, the the whole we can, you know, rather than changing your social security number, which, you know, at some point that starts to fall down and the only real alternative left is you have to move. We'll, we'll all have to move.
1: It's true. And I'm thinking of like a house swapping scheme yes. with you know, friends.
0: Yeah. And you know, we'll probably have to start swapping names and it's just going to get ugly.
1: You just want to swap wives again. I told you the last time it was awkward and we're not doing it again.
0: Oh yeah. (sighs) All right. Our next story comes from bank info security. The title is cyber insurance primer for insurers and the insured.
1: And by the way, I have an add-on story that came up just as we went to record tonight. Wow. That late breaking know, news. Late breaking news that clearly you have not had a chance to read, but is associated with a story that I will at least give the highlights of after we finish this story.
0: All right. Very good. All right. So um, <clears throat> it's, a, it, it's a very brief story. And basically, the the author here is is trying to make the case that insurers are going to have to create their own... You know what he calls gold standard for uh for security programs uh for their insured uh, customers uh, otherwise you know it's gonna be the wild and woolly west and and you know in, because the existing security programs you know, certifications and whatnot are really not geared towards the kinds of uh you know of intention that an insurance company would need in order to understand their uh you know the, the 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 level of security that their customers have. And then on the other side he says that, you know, as a as a insurance customer, you've got to be prepared to kind of defend your position uh from a security perspective. And if you do get breached, you know, the insurance company is of course going to claim, well, you know, you really weren't compliant or or what have you. And another thing that struck me is that as I was thinking about this, and I've been thinking a lot about uh, insurance and, and reading a lot about it recently. And the more, one thing is the more I learn about it, the more I realize I really don't have the first freaking clue about the insurance, just generally. Um, but the other is that, you know, so again, he talks about how uh, insurance companies are going to have to come up with this really – you know, grandiose security standard to hold their customers to, um, and and I and I got to thinking: well, is that kind of like they have had to come up with the grandiose way? You know, uh, a burglar alarms to keep out. You know, to, to keep people from breaking into the buildings, and the way they have had to come up with the you know some super grandiose fire suppression system. You know, or Um, you know, for,
1: well, hang on, hang on. So there's a whole lot of disparity in those examples. So just to nitpick. All right. So if you look at it in a physical theft world of burglar alarms and theft, there is a statistical run rate of theft that can be calculated that is limited by the number of thieves in the area. Mm hmm. Uh which is not the same as people online who can leverage one bad guy's actions to hit thousands and thousands and thousands of in this case homes right one guy can only one bad guy can only break into one home at one time online, I can break into thousands yeah, I... and on your fire alarm and fire suppression, they also have building codes that go into the materials used and how they're built. And they can also then look statistically at what the likelihood of occurrence is.
0: No, I I, I, agree, with, I agree with all of that. However, okay. I guess my, my point is that I do not believe it will be I, – I don't believe the pricing strategy for insurance at the end of the day is going to be based on – the control program that the insured companies, the, the insured customers have. I think it's going to end up being based on other metrics like how much data do they have.
1: And so you're not going to get discounts for having, quote-unquote, uh, FireEye installed?
0: I don't think so. I don't think so. And I, and I think the reason is, I, 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 now, this is, I'm talking out my rear end here, right? But And, I, and I'm admitting it. But I strongly suspect that at the end of the day there's not going to be a significant correlation between companies who actually get breached and any particular security technology or or program because wow i know heresy isn't it
1: so you're saying everything we're doing to stop breaches is pointless
0: no that's not what i'm saying
1: <laughs> but i want to extrapolate for you know, <laughs> exaggerate for for effect <laughs>
0: um you know, but you're
1: I, saying for the insurance industry, they won't be able to find any correlation between things that they can easily audit exactly. A I'm reach likelihood,
0: right? And they, I mean, they, at the end of the day, they're not to make money, they have to come up with a pricing strategy and how they're going to charge their customers for insurance, how much they're willing to insure, and on and on and on. And I'm saying that I, you know, based on everything I've been reading, I'm not convinced that you know the control posture is going to have a you know, obviously, if they don't have anything, that's not a great thing. I think it's going to be based on other, um, more objective cues that the, you know, that, that the insurance company can gather about the, the the customer.
1: So I'm going to insert this right in the middle of our discussion because it applies. The other story is a Reuters story that came out today. And the headline is, cyber insurance premiums rocket after high-profile attacks. And basically, you know, just to read a little bit here, a rash of hacking attacks on U.S. companies over the past years have prompted insurers to massively increase cyber premiums for some companies, leaving firms that are perceived to be high-risk scrambling for cover. On top of rate hikes, insurers are raising deductibles, in some cases limiting the amount of coverage to $100 million leaving many potentially exposed to big losses from hacks that can cost more, more than twice that. Uh, one of the other interesting things I saw in here as I skimmed through it is retails and health insurance have been especially hard hit by the squeeze after high-profile breaches at Home Depot, Target, Anthem, and Premier Blue Cross. Health insurers who suffered hacks are facing the most extreme increases, with some premiums tripling every new time. Wow. Average rates for retailers surged. 32 percent in the first half of this year after staying flat in 2014 uh, so uh, clearly the insurance industry is reacting to the same thing you're saying and their easy reaction is raise rates well
0: it, it has to be I mean that's, they have one lever basically
1: right well I they have multiple levers in terms of influencing rates i mean if you look at the car insurance industry which is the one most people are familiar with there are all sorts of ways uh, to sort of mitigate your costs with different sort of techniques, whether it be plugging a little dongle into your car's data port, and they can monitor how you drive, to age, to I mean, they're very good at statistically analyzing the likelihood of an incident. And I think what we're finding is that they suck at statistically analyzing the likelihood of an incident when it comes to cyber corporations. Well, you know, it, and and
0: I, I just I do want to play off that for for one second. I, I do think that the uh, the snapshot, you know, the 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 OBD two port. Dongle idea is kind of an interesting translation when you think about it in terms of cyber insurance you know at some point in the you know obviously auto insurance is very very mature and and whatnot has lots and lots of customers and you know it it's there's very little surprise and it's a competitive market and and if you can get some pricing you know leverage you know you can you can make a lot of money and so it makes a lot of sense. But I do wonder if at some point it makes sense to have, you know, that kind of plug-in-your-network dongle thing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. The, the insurance company has a sniffer on your farm. Right. But, well, you know, there's some other interesting notes from this Reuters article and uh, some quotes I want to read here. As more companies realize the importance of having coverage, the insurers move in to meet that demand. The cyber insurance market is set to triple to about $7.5 billion over the next five years, according to a recent study by uh, BWC. But insurers are wary of the hard-to-predict risks they are taking on, right to the point you're making. Quote, we have turned clients away. Uh, somebody, Tracy Grella, the global head of professional liability and insurance giant uh, AIG. AIG offers cyber insurance policies that cover to $75 million for a cyber attack, but only for companies like top global blank banks that have Wow, that's okay. Bad text here. That have are the most adept at screening networks and mitigating cyber risk. In other words, you're saying it's kind of like they only give loans to people who can get money anyway, right? Who don't need it. So what they're saying is they're willing to ensure folks that they feel, at a very broad level, are best suited to stop a hack. Yeah. Uh, you know, th- they talk about Warren Buffett, uh, Berkshire Hathaway, this month also launched its first cyber policies through its specialized insurance division. Quote, we are being very selective, end quote. So uh, another one here. Uh, Ace Group recently started offering up to $100 million in coverage, but only after an intensive review of potential clients' cybersecurity policies and procedures.
0: Well, so that that's a data point that goes against my hypothesis.
1: Well, who knows? They could be trying it and it could fail. Yeah. You know, they're trying different things. And it's entirely possible to me that that the cyber insurance market may just go away. If they can't quantify and control the risk, they may pull out, much like, uh, you know, homeowners insurance companies pulled out of South Florida because of hurricanes. And then are we going to be left with government run cyber insurance policies like flood protection?
0: Yeah uh it, it's certainly a, a, a possible outcome um man you know it, it, it's it, it it's does, complicated it, it is it is very complicated everything i've read so far is that the insurance companies are doing a lot to mitigate their risk by by putting pretty pretty strict caps on the amount of insurance that they will actually cover um i think that i think the thing that's has yet to be really addressed with. And again, this is not, I'm I'm a, I'm a neophyte when it comes to insurance, but you know, as, as the insurance market continues to develop and they get more and more customers, they're going to accumulate more and more liability. And I think the thing that you just described that, you know, the, the South Florida insurance market actually is really very interesting. Uh, if you, if if you ever read about that, um, you get this concentration of risk, right? And so kind of like, you know, you've, you've uh, in, in the context of, of car insurance, you can in general, make lots of money as an insurance company, because, you know, you know that a certain number of people are going to have an accident or have a crash and you're going to have to pay out a certain amount, but you know, they're collecting much more money than that. But what if everybody's car in an area at the same time, is you know is damaged from a from a hurricane or or what have you? Now you have this concentration of risk, and it's the same kind of thing that translates into the cyber policy, right? Where you know potentially all of your customers could, or many of them, kind of simultaneously be impacted at the same time. Another thing, and this is just a um, wild, wild wondering, right? you know so so let's say you have all kinds of these customers and they all have you know Target had my information Home Depot had my information Scott Trade had my information I know I don't know who else had my information you know at some point the the value of my information is got to be diminished you would think and you know
1: but here you know here let me play with that for a second because here's something I often wondered we haven't seen Definitive proof that all data breached is eventually sold. That's very true. It seems selective for some reason, and I don't know enough about that to really comment fully. But uh, like I know, when we look at credit card dumps, we see some of them, but not all of them. Right. So I don't know. Anyway, go on.
0: No. Anyway, that I guess the only other point I'd make is, I, I kind of going back to the to the car insurance you know car insurance and life insurance and other things are are priced based on attributes about you not about you as a person but but about you as a demographic you know you're a you're a you know 18 year old or 18 to 22 year old male and you know and you live in a certain zip code and you have a you know a two door sports car you know that your your insurance price is going to be very different than a you know a forty five year old um you know it driving a uh land yacht and it's just the way just the way it is because they know you know they it it just, they don't they don't go to an individual driver and administer you know driving tests
1: to individual people yeah so one other thing that I noticed here too that I thought was interesting. Uh, from this Reuters article, was uh, offering advice. So speaking specifically to the retail section, uh, retailers shopping for cyber insurance are coming under pressure to secure their payment systems, just as homeowners are encouraged to install locks on doors and windows. Insurers are promoting newer technologies for securing payment card transactions that exceed credit card companies' requirements, such as tokenization and end-to-end encryption, said uh, Ben Beeson, a partner with uh, broker locked in companies. Retailers that don't do that today are going to struggle to get insurance, Beeson said. Interesting. But the stringent conditions on coverage could lead to the next chapter of the cyber drama, courtroom battles. Yeah. Which I think is very true. Uh, I know we spend a lot of time on cyber insurance on the show. Uh, it's probably not necessarily relevant to a lot of our listeners because they're down in the trenches, you know, fighting technical issues and such, but it is a fascinating area that is evolving rapidly, and I really do think more and more companies are probably going to, at least as executive levels go, we can't win, let's just insure against the loss. Right.
0: Well, I mean, I think it, at the end of the day, you it, it's a prudent, potentially, a prudent business call. I mean, you end up, you, you take out, Business continuity insurance or you know business interruption insurance and you take out fire insurance and theft insurance and you know d n o and e know it's just something that that you do and uh, I think that this is it's not going to be that much different in the cyber world so indeed anyway um moving on to our last story this one comes from c s o and the title is near flawless social engineering attack Spoiled by a single flaw and uh, the story here is in some unnamed company uh their their comptroller received an email from their ceo and it basically said uh hey this um this attorney who's working on acquisitions for us is going to be contacting you and you know i'm i'm authorizing payment to him uh you know cooperate and and uh, blah 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 and uh apparently he signed it in a very odd way Uh, he used his real name instead of his name is richard and but normally he signs his emails dick and uh the comptroller picked up on that and you know i guess picked up the phone and said hey did you you know called the ceo and said hey did you uh did you send that and in fact he did not it was a it was a fish and apparently, it was a fish that uh, was intended to enable this, um, you know, fraudulent attorney to start sending invoices and uh, and, and stealing money that way. Uh, and what was interesting to me is that you know, okay, here's a case where you know, hey, it worked. You know, we we've we've talked a lot about how these things kind of fail in spectacular fashion here's a here's a case where it apparently worked the the company as described in the article has a a culture that supports their organization to question you know kind of question suspicious requests and um you know they're they're not apparently penalized for doing that so that's yeah, i think something working in their favor and you know also that points out that they're uh, apparently their security awareness education uh, worked here the thing that struck me though is you know you have all these people high-fiving you know good job we you know we caught the fish we we didn't we didn't fall for it but uh, it, I, it it always strikes me that we we think that you know the attacker just was like oh they got me you know dreads I'm gonna go home and you know turn my life around and that's not probably what's going on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They'll just move on to the next next target,
0: um, or or next tactic at the same target.
1: Right. That's true. Wait a month and come at it in a different way. Right. Uh, that's and very true. the
0: The other thing that struck me is when you read this email or when you read this uh, article, they the attacker had the email template. He knew the format and you know the kind of the grammatical style of the ceo and you know, apparently knew quite a lot about it but well, by the way his account his email account was definitely not compromised I, one thing i do wonder is you know how does an attacker an outside attacker get that level of of, of knowledge right and that's not there's there's really no treatment of that in this Particular story, but that um, that is something that that kind of raised the hair on the back of my neck. Is you know
1: certainly uh, are, they, are they monitoring car- carefully and closely? Have they breached the mail server somehow? Exactly, yeah. Which would make sense if you're really committed to doing a proper fish, you need to understand business practice and who's who.
0: Yeah, and it, and it's pretty clear they uh, they they seemed it seems like they had a, they had done a lot of reconnaissance on this particular company, so.
1: So, you know, I had one other thought that I had jotted down in my notes on these two phishing stories that we talked about tonight. I, I, again, much like you on cyber insurance and me, I'm talking out of my ass on this, but we, we seem to want to treat all the employees as equal, and they're all equally capable of uh, absorbing the training and doing, you know, security awareness training in one size fits all. But I, I wonder about that, and I wonder if that's a false assumption. You know, we do things like Briggs Myers personality tests, and you know, it breaks them down into nine different types of people. And in in theory, and business theory, these are personality types, and it explains how people think and how people act, and and how to best interact with them, and what their their type of of personality is, whether they're a thinker, whether they're you know, a doer, if they're willing to challenge and think outside the box, are they a follower? You know, there's all sorts of different sort of things that I'm no expert on. It. But I wonder, has anyone ever done a correlation between something like a Briggs-Meyer's personality types and susceptibility to phishing? I wonder if there's any correlations.
0: Well, or, or, I mean, that that would be interesting, but also um, the effectiveness of different – are there is there an opportunity to target different kinds of training right. at different types of people?
1: Exactly. That, yeah, that's my next sort of thought on that is, you're right on is, okay, now that you know somebody's personality type, how do you target their personality type of training where you say, you know, I know that you're the type who likes to get along, and that, you know, there's a nice way to say this, but you inherently don't challenge authority as part of your personality type. However, you know, here's a scam that plays against that and turns that strength of yours into a weakness. Right, you know, or, or whatever, right? I'm I'm not a good enough psychologist to know how to spin this, but uh, I do know that exactly where you're going is what I was thinking, which is that if you then understand the personality type and you understand how what correlates in terms of who may be more susceptible to phishing and why, you might be able to have more targeted user awareness training to to work with that particular personality type
0: makes a lot of sense i mean intuitively it makes a lot of sense i think the you know it's, it's probably going to come down to cost <laughs> at the end of the day
1: yeah yeah and uh, and i but, have no idea i there's probably other folks who've looked into this i will probably get letters from listeners going yeah some guy at you know harvard did a study on that and you're stupid you know and stuff like that it's <laughs> you know, typical email i get but uh certainly um, something that came to mind as I was thinking about it of uh, because at the end of the day fishing is a psychological thing and everybody's psychology is a little different but we, we can lump them into certain types of categories but you can't necessarily say everybody's the same right you know and and of course there's different susceptibility based on level in the organization there's different susceptibility based on workload and all sorts of stuff so i don't know i i think we're going to have to get more sophisticated in our fight against phishing than we are today
0: it, uh, there's no question it's it's just going to get worse un, until we change something dramatically i don't know what that is maybe maybe this is a you know an opportunity so,
1: anyhow. Yeah, that was just my yeah, random no, thought. That good,
0: good thought. Nice job.
1: Yeah, you say that to all the co-hosts. That's true.
0: <laughs> anyway. <laughs> all right. So that is our show. Uh, thank you very much for listening, as always. And um, if you have any comments or questions, send us an email to info at org. Uh, You can find the links to all the stories we talked about in our show notes on our website, www.defensivesecurity.org. You can follow the show on Twitter at DefensiveSec. You can follow Mr. Kellett on Twitter at Lurg. That's L-E-R-G. And me on Twitter at MaliciousLink. And by the way, if you're not on Twitter, it's a great place. I mean, you can lose a lot of time. I'm not denying that, but... Um, it's a great place. There's there's lots of uh, infosec community. If if you are um, kind of new to the information security community, that's a great place to uh, to hang out and and uh, meet people. Just try not to get sucked into some of the I dare say it, drama. I said it. There there
1: is a wee bit of drama out there. I, yeah, I said it.
0: All right, and uh, with that, we will talk again next time. Thanks again.
1: See you guys. Thanks. Have a good Bye. Thanks
0: Bye. Yeah, well, the problem is that I have so many damn inputs and outputs now, I don't think it
1: knows, you know. Anyway. It's kind of like your mom. Lots of inputs. Lots of outputs. Oh, my goodness.
0: Stupid window. Stupid Skype. Stupid Skype. Damn it, Bill Gates.
1: How dare you give us free software? I mean, I don't know what I mean, but damn it.
0: I want to be angry. (laughs) (laughs) resonating with me oh for Pete's sake why do I do this hang on
1: I don't know I've been asking that for years
0: yeah 135 times in fact
1: I don't know why you keep inviting me back to the show to be honest with you
0: (laughs) all right so uh
1: I just figure it's a running joke somewhere now
0: (laughs) (laughs) we'll have the intervention soon
1: yes (laughs) bye-bye bye-bye now bye-bye bye-bye bye-bye